Welcome back to the Hunting Roots Podcast brought to you by OnX. I'm your host, Brody Swisher, and today we are going to jump into a cool conversation with Dr. Bronson Strickland. Uh, if you're not familiar with Dr. Strickland, uh, Dr. Steve Damaris, they are the guys, they are the brains behind the MSU Deer Lab, Mississippi State University, uh, the Deer University Podcast. These guys have got a wealth of information when it comes to the whitetail deer. They're honestly the gurus, the genius. They are the guys that have all the ins and outs, the good, the bad, and the ugly on whitetail deer. If you want to know it, these guys have probably researched it, figured out, or know something about it. I love hearing from these guys. They've been on a few podcasts that I've checked out over the last couple of years. Uh, but again, I just love to throw some different thoughts and insight, uh, gather some different thoughts and insight from them, and that's what we're going to do today. I've used them as uh, sources for a couple articles I've done in the past. So we're going to get Dr. Strickland on the line today. We're going to talk about several topics and get some feedback from him. One in particular is talking about deer diseases. I wanted to throw some questions his way about would you eat that? Should you eat that? I get people all the time saying, hey, I've seen this deer doing this. Should I eat this? What about the deer that's got that disease? Can I eat that? So he's going to answer some of those questions today as we walk through some of the hot ones, some of those much talked about diseases that we're hearing about today in the whitetail deer world. We're also going to talk about when deer start and stop the breeding cycle. What causes a buck to turn on and turn off when it comes to breeding? And then we're also going to finally talk about the peak rut in the deep south states. Why in the world do deer rut differently across different parts of the country? We know back in November is usually the time when uh, much of the country sees breeding activity, the rut taking place in the whitetail world. But uh, you go far enough into the deep south, Mississippi, and then Alabama, you'll see deer rutting in December. January and February. So there's some awesome opportunities to chase the rut further south into those deep south regions of the country. But why is it that that takes place? He's going to answer those questions today. Anytime you've got Dr. Strickland on the line, you can count on tons of good whitetail information coming forth. That is the deal today. In fact, we're going to probably bust this one up into two weeks. So this week and next week, we'll have Dr. Strickland on the line. Hey, listen, in the first part of this conversation, there's a little scratch in the line. I don't know if it's a reception issue on his phone or mine. Please ride it out. Hang in there with us. we got lots of good stuff coming. Let's get Dr. Strickland on the line. Dr. Strickland, Brody Swisher, how in the world are you today? Hey, Brody, I'm doing well. Doing well. Great. I hope you are. Man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great as well. You got time to talk deer for a few minutes with me? Yeah, but I'm ready to roll. All right. Well, man, I do appreciate the time and just a chance to catch up with you. I know we've never met face-to-face, but I've been kind of tracking with you a little bit, following you on some of these other podcasts. I don't know if it was uh, Mossy Oak Gamekeepers or Cuz or all of the above, probably. I appreciate it, and a shout-out to, to your team. Uh, we really uh, were appreciative of making your top ten list. Absolutely. I, I don't know if that was you in, in particular or, so, again, someone on your team, but that that was really a treat, very gratifying, and, and good to see. So we, yeah, we really thank you for that. Well, no problem. Yeah, I, I put that in there, included it, just because of uh, just that. I've I've really enjoyed hearing from you guys and hearing what you're up to. And uh, there's a lot of lot of folks out there, I think, that want to offer advice from their, you know, few years of deer hunting. You know, they start deer hunting, kill their first deer, and they want to start a podcast and start sharing their wealth of wisdom over a few years of experience. And that's kind of be, it seems to be a growing trend these days in a lot of different uh, platforms, but it's good to come across some solid information from guys that have been there, done that, been down the path. And 
uh, are willing to share their wealth of information, legitimate uh, wisdom. And so I appreciate that from you guys and, and you guys offering that. And so, uh, absolutely. We, we love doing it. So yeah. it's, it's a win to win. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, Hey, as we get started, just kind of tell me a little bit about your backstory and, uh, who you are, where you're from, what you do and, and kind of all that just to, uh, get us all on the okay, same page. Sure. And so, yep. uh, born and raised right outside of Athens, Georgia. And I, I guess, why that's important is um, when I was in middle school or, or junior high, the, the epiphany came to me that um, there, there was this career out there called wildlife biology and specifically deer biology. Yeah. And uh, I've told this story many times, but uh, I had a friend, a, a very close friend, and just like um, guys my age back then and, and nowadays, we were you know, uh, small game hunting, chasing everything with a 22 and a 410. And that, that was just what our lives were about, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he said, yeah, I, I go to, uh, scouts with, uh, with a guy and, and his dad is a, a deer biologist at, at the university of Georgia. Yeah. And that, that was my epiphany right there that I was just so lucky that at that age, you know, eighth grade or ninth grade, it's like, that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. There, there, there is no other career option for me. That is exactly what I want to do. And, uh, and then, so then I was lucky enough to, uh, finish up high school and, and get in the, the university of Georgia. And, um, uh, that same guy, that deer biologist became my advisor. His name was Larry Marshington. And, uh, so that kind of started me down this path and, um, graduated from the University of Georgia with an undergraduate degree in wildlife biology, then went to uh, Texas A&M Kingsville in South Texas yep. and got to do my graduate work there on a big, big ranch in South Texas. And um, that was, a, a, of course, a really big departure. And in hindsight, it was so useful to get out of the ecological system I grew up in and, and yep. the Pine Belt and go to a completely different system and how deer are managed and so forth. Uh, after that, came to Mississippi State to uh, work on my Ph.D. with a, a, another big name in, in deer biology and management, Steve Damaris, yep. and got my Ph.D. Un, under him and, and worked primarily with the, the, the DMAP, the Deer Management Assistance Program, this colossal database yeah. that had amassed over about 15 years. And that's when we really started digging in and looking at all these regional differences in populations and uh what are our expectations what are realistic what are the limitations from county to county and region to region regarding uh habitat food production etc and and really started delving into the uh cause and effect for why the average boone and crockett score of a mature buck in this place is mid 130s versus in this place it's low 120s you know um and then after that, I, I worked for USDA for a couple of years, and then I was just really fortunate, lucky enough to land the position I'm in now, which is uh, working for the Mississippi State University Extension Service, yep. which is kind of the, the outreach platform for a, a land-grant university, and, and, and was able to, to keep my specialization in, in white-tailed deer. And so Steve and I really tag-team and complement and synergize really well because he more or less leads the the research dynamic of what we do and i assist him and then on the outreach side of our research findings i lead getting that information out 
via social media, via face-to-face, via podcast, et cetera. And, and, and Steve assists me with that. So yeah. it, it's worked. It's been a really successful recipe for yeah. the past 15 years. Very nice. Very nice. Well, you know, the, the Mississippi State program has, has got a, obviously a, an incredible reputation. I mean, I even going back to when I was trying to make decisions for school, you know, I remember um, you know, just all different programs. Mississippi State always came up as, as far as options for the outdoors guy that, that wanted to follow that yeah. that path, and and um, and it's just been cool to see how that's come up and evolved over the years and, and come along. And uh, tell me, I mean, as far as the, the students you have coming through the Deer Project and programs and, and studies there, what would you say primarily are some of those students? Are they are they hunters? Are they folks that just enjoy wildlife or what do you see as far as the students that are that are into that deal? I mean, is is that program of all kinds, or do you see folks that are again? Is it is it primarily hunters, or what do you see coming through y'all's program? Yeah, that, that, that's a, a, a great question, and it, it's really changed a lot over yeah. the past, like from my day, and especially the past two decades. Um, you know, twenty plus years ago, I, I bet I, I don't have the data to prove this, but I, I bet you could safely assume ninety plus percent. Yep. of our students, you know, got into the program because of their love of, of hunting and fishing. Yeah. And that that's not the case now. It's yeah. probably less than half are yeah. in. But because, and a lot of that is just largely, um, we, we think of the evolution of television and communication and sure. so forth. Uh, a lot of people are making a connection with the outdoors from, say, Discovery Channel or Animal Planet, or right. it might be through a zoo, and, and all that's wonderful. I mean, the more people... Yep. We can get interested in wildlife and conservation and the environment, the, the better. Yeah, right. Now, within the, the deer program, uh, we're still probably very heavily biased towards people that have deer hunted or hunted, and that, that's kind of their background and interest. But even within our, our program, we just had a super successful uh, person come through, did a fantastic job that did not come from a hunting background but was really interested in uh, disease, wildlife mm. disease, and the yep. implications of that, how it spreads, implications to humanity. And my goodness, did, did that not intersect at a better time than when we're going through a global pandemic, you oh, know, gosh, with, yeah. possibly, yeah. you know, the, the affiliations with a, a wildlife virus. But um, so so really all, all types, there, there's a, a place for everyone. Yeah. Very cool. Now, you yourself are a hunter, though, as far as that goes, right? Is that you got a hunting background? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Always love to hear about people's hunting roots, where they're coming from, their background. Tell me the story on your first deer. When and where did that go down? Well, it, it, it my my first deer was especially gratifying because my first opportunity resulted in a uh, you know in hindsight I don't I don't know how it happened but it was just a flat miss mm. and I was shooting um it wasn't uh the the old um time tested Winchester model 94 3030 yeah but it was a model 94 it was a a new cartridge back then so we're going back to the mid 80s okay and it was called a, a 307 Winchester okay and the 307 Winchester was it was essentially an opportunity to take all the the great dynamics of the 308 cartridge but to put it in a rifle that could be a lever action. Yeah. So they essentially took a, a 308, uh, expanded the, um, uh, what do you call the bottom of the, the rim, you yep. know, to add kind of a rim on it so that the claw could grab it, and, uh, and then put a, a blunt nose or flat nose bullet in it. 
so you could cycle it through. Anyway, so yeah. I remember got that all super excited about it, and I, I had my first opportunity. I had a doe, a couple does actually, at probably 20-something yards, and five rounds go right in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just, and that was at the very close of that deer season. Yeah. And so got the rifle. I think I got it for Christmas, you know, and yeah. we had that. Of course, back back then, remember, people don't understand this nowadays, but that was during doe days. Oh, wow. And, you know, now it's like doe days are your, you know, that back then it's like, you know, you had your deer season, and then there's a special weekend or a week or something where, you know, antlerless or, or doe harvest uh, is eligible. So grabs, anyway, yeah. that they, I closed out that deer season on a, an abysmal, just gut-wrenching, <laughs> that was my first deer, how did it happen, and so I sulked and mauled over that yeah but but by the time september october rolled around the next year i'd added a scope got a lot more proficient with the rifle and was lucky on opening day of uh of gun season that year remember it vividly and a lot of little cool things about being a deer biologist now is uh number one it was a six six pointer yeah and got a great you know 30 40 yard broadside shot and uh, clean, ethical kill, and then I walked over to my very first deer, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is – there's something weird going on. And, you know, the the words you only know at that point in your life experience and education is I just see these tumors, mm. you know, four or five of them on broadside and on the brisket, and I think, oh, my God, you know, my first yeah. deer has cancer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, in hindsight, it was a viral fibroma that I take questions about, you know, twice a week all the time someone from a trail cam photo or a harvest photo what's this big wart you know on the deer it's a viral fibroma it's normal it's contained to the skin of the deer you know et cetera et cetera everything everything's fine but so that that was my first experience and then i think i ended up harvesting another deer that year and and then just built on that and been doing it ever since um love archery love bow hunting that's my uh, if I had to pick one hunting type style to do for the rest of my life, it, w- it would be uh, attempting to harvest deer with a bow. Yeah. That is truly my passion. Yep. Not but, not good at it. I don't have the time to devote to it. I used to, but that's yep. what I really love. Well, and I, and I love how you said that attempting to to bow hunt uh, deer with you know, and that's that's just so much it. You know, the love of of, of, the, the, of the game. You know, attempting, right. getting out there, going after it, hunting. You know, so many folks get so consumed on the finished product or punching a tag or reducing standards to punch a tag. I got to fill my tag. Uh, they miss out on the journey. And I, I see that so much every year. And uh, I love what you how you said that just, just the getting out there and enjoying that hunt um, yeah. and, and the, the pursuit of it, man, it's such a blessing. It's so pure. And um, it, it's the yeah, chase. Yeah. The chase, man. It's, it's the chase is what's part of it. Yeah. And uh, we got too many folks missing out on that. And, uh, so yeah, man, bow hunting. That's that to me. That's uh, again, I, I hunt with all. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you you work with bowhunting dot com. You know, you must be bow only. And I, I you know, I I use all types. You know, what I'm saying if it's legal, I enjoy it. I got kids that mm-hmm. you know, once meat meat season comes on about this time of year, we'll pull the uh, rifles out and and try to put some extra deer in the freezer. And uh, but bow hunting to me has just always been just the intimacy of having that animal right there up close you see it you smell it you hear it you feel it just all of it that goes with getting animals close enough to bow hunt is is why i love that experience and um 
It, it's just enough it, to... It's a more intimate experience that, that's more gratifying. Even yep. if the experience does not result in successful harvesting, it's yep. being within 20, you know, less or more yards. It's just right. it's a more, to me, yep. it's a more fun experience. And Brody, the way I relate it to people is if I had unlimited time and the stars were to align, I would love to, to harvest my four or five deer a year with a bow. I mean, that would just be, you know, uh, five stars. That's what I would choose. But at some point, things don't go well and time's limited, and then I move into what is called venison acquisition mode, where the rifle comes out and it's less intimate and there's less satisfaction. But at the end of the day, too, uh, we eat venison year-round and a lot of it, so i got to get it done. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. Well, that's us. You know, we've been... Working on summer sausage this morning and some salami, deer salami, and, and uh, snack sticks and all the stuff we're doing, uh, it, you know, putting up some meat. And so every time we do that, my kids are like, now I see why we need to, you know, why the need. You know, they want to, hey, let's go out there and, and, and hunt some more. Let's get some more deer in the freezer because this is good. We're, you know, we're creating our own food and processing our own food. And, and uh, it's just such a, you know, the satisfaction yeah. level is, is through the roof when you can take a child or anybody myself just go through that process of hunting the harvest coming home and the process the whole process and it, it's a it's a beautiful thing for sure and uh so that's, and that's what a, the other part of it people miss is there's a, there's another and it, it's still even you know the i have no idea how many deer harvested processed consumed but um it's still every time you take a bite yeah that's another part of the experience people miss out on is that yeah gratification and appreciation of the, the circle of life so to speak yep. or mossy oak would say the 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 immersive lifestyle yep. of doing it it's just uh it makes me happy it makes me satisfied yep. yeah absolutely very cool man well i love the fact that you are a hunter an avid hunter i should say and um and can kind of work both ends of that from the educational side and then just the experience side of things and uh, knowing where it, you know you've come from is, is cool to see and, and just it immediately uh builds respect and so uh i appreciate that again appreciate the time hey i want to kind of jump it through uh, i really you know primarily wanted to talk today about the the rut behavior in the deep south why deer rut uh later in the deep south and and um that'd be kind of one of the main focuses but you know you mentioned the um the the tumors and the, or the warts that we see oftentimes i know we did an article not too long ago at bowhunting.com on that uh, but I'd love to just maybe throw a couple quick things with those, uh, as well as you know some different topics. Because when you when you mentioned that a moment ago, that was my first thing that I, I've always heard people say, "Well, I'm not going to eat that." So I just wanted to maybe between that and maybe CWD and a couple of those hot topics that right now, just throw a couple things at you and let you uh, just speak to that. Uh, you mentioned those. Sure. You call them. Uh, tell me again the name of those viral. Viral fibromas. Viral fibromas. And so they range from anywhere from a, a wart to deer just being completely covered. Is that right? Yeah, and, and that's literally, Brody, that, that's kind of how we classify uh, that condition, if it's going to be a problem or not, is, um, I mean, just, I, you know, take a human example or something, something really, really unfortunate. Yep. Um, if you have a wart, it's really no big deal. I mean, you don't want it on your body in sure. particular, but... It's not causing you any harm whatsoever. You know, it's just this little tumor-like growth that's on the skin, exterior, cutaneous. Uh, It doesn't grow into your tissue, into the muscle. It doesn't cause any problems. Exactly the same 
with the deer. Yep. The only time it becomes problematic is the number or size of the fibroma becomes overwhelming to the extent that it limits the deer's ability to get food or survive. And so yep. we literally, and these are one in a million cases, or maybe even more than that, uh, to where the number of growths are on their face. Yep. And so it is uh, hampering their, their vision or yep. their ability to smell and, and acquire food resources. That's that's really the only danger yep. of, of a fibroma. Yeah. I got you. Very good. 90, 999 times out of 1,000, it's just a little wart, and it's of no concern. Yeah. Well, and we can even label this, would you Would you eat that segment? Because that's what I think so many people, you know, that's kind of how it's always uh, delivered to me. I'll yeah. get a picture come through. Would you eat that? And so we'll yeah. just call that. So the, the fibromas. The answer is yes. Yes. Would you eat I'll that? Eat yes. That. There you go. Yeah. All right. Talking about CWD then real quickly. We won't even, that's a whole beast in and of its own. Oh, yeah. But I've getting a lot of, you know, we found our first deer here in Tennessee, uh, came up, uh, or in our county, I should say, uh, back in September. So that, uh, I think it was September, yeah. And uh, and we've only had the one in this county, but it's creeped in, uh, came across, I guess, the Mississippi line several years ago now. And, um, yeah. and so here we are, you know, and I've get local folks now that's popping up. Uh, ask me the same thing. Hey, what are you going to do with those? Are you going to still eat those? And, and nothing's changed for me. Tell me about that. CWD, would you eat that? Um, I, I would. Okay, so we got we got a couple classifications here. Um, and, and really, I am I am taking this language from the CDC because I, they're they're the experts at this level giving sure. recommendations. And uh, I think what they say is completely appropriate, and it's and it's supported completely and entirely supported by CWD experts. So here's kind of your decision hierarchy. Yeah. Uh, number one, am I in a CWD zone or management zone? In other words, am I in an area where CWD is known to occur? Right. If the answer is no, then I would have no reservations at all about consuming that deer. Now, I might, if my state wildlife agency, like Mississippi and like Tennessee, they're encouraging everyone from a surveillance perspective, you know, please, would you turn in a sample, turn in the head, because we need help on locating where all the disease has spread. Um, But would I consume that deer? Absolutely. Now, the, the uh, the next level, Am I in an active CWD zone? In that case, I am absolutely going to get my deer tested. And that is a win-win. Why do I say that? Um, It's a win for the state agency that they have another data point in terms of monitoring the prevalence of the disease and the geographical location or spread of the disease. Now, the win for you is peace of mind. That's right. Some people are concerned about it. Some people aren't. Right. Here's what the CDC says, is that in the history of studying the dynamics of this disease and humans consuming the meat, there has never been a case. There has never been a case where they have definitively linked consuming CWD-infected deer to a human form of that disease, which we call a prion disease, and the best example in humans is called Crutzfeld-Jakob disease. Yep. But it has the same manifestation 
and demise, the unfortunate demise, 100% of the time with a human. So there has never been that link, has never been established. However, what the CDC recommends is use caution yeah. because that the analog of that disease in cows is mad cow disease, right. Right. BSE, uh, bovine spongiform encephalopathy. And so in that case where you had a really, really high Brody, a really high sample size, if you remember back in the day, they determined hundreds and hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of meals of infected beef were consumed by humans. Mm. And they did have some cases where uh, a year or two or later down the road, humans developed you know, a prion disease, a neurological disorder, and, and it killed them. Yeah. And so what the CDC says is if you're in one of these zones and there's a non-trivial probability yep. that this deer could be infected with CWD, don't take a chance. Yeah. Use, you know, use caution and don't consume, have it tested, number one. If it comes back positive, don't take a chance. Sure. Don't consume that deer. Yeah. And, and that's what we recommend. Sure. And and that just makes that per- makes perfect sense. I mean, you think about it as, oh, you got some people that are just, uh, not not concerned at all, or they they want to, you know, they're just going full bore and like I'm going to eat it. I don't care what anybody says. You know, living that kind of life, you know, I'm just going to yeah. do it no matter what. You know, that that'll get you in trouble on down the line. Maybe you know, it tends right. to get people in trouble. So. Uh, like you said, well said. You yeah. know, yeah. It may so, not be this instance, but with that type of philosophy in life, yeah. eventually that's going to catch up. It's going to bite you sooner or later, and so yeah, just to be to be wise and follow that advice is good. Um, what the way we phrase it a lot with stuff in in my field, whether it be forestry or wildlife management, we call it best management practices. That's right. That's right. And I, th- I think this is a perfect example. This is just a good best management practice for you and the consumption of venison. That's right. All right, very good. Hey, tell me about the deer you hear coming through the woods, and he's it's a it's kind of a cough, it's kind of a bark. I just said, Arr! I heard it this past uh, this past week. It's just a it's just a to me it sounds like a cough, like a coughing sound. But I heard one as loud as I've ever heard one the other day. Just a like I said, it it came across as a, as a mm. sick. Uh, it was just a. Arr! And it was um, okay. it was loud. I don't have you have you ever come across that or seen? I've seen a handful of times. I've I've come across that on various uh, deer. Just kind of just kind of like I said, some almost like a cough. This was more mm-hmm. this this was a, a very loud sound. And and you know, at first I thought it was a dog coming through the woods, and um, but it was just a you know it was a younger deer. Um, looked like a button buck. And so, uh, have you heard that or had any encounters with that? Just the deer. A sickness or anything like that along that line or encounter well that? I, I i definitely you know with our research facility you know around deer a lot that there are definitely what you know a vocalization we we would kind of call a cough yeah that's that's kind of the same reason we would cough there's sure. some congestion they're they're trying to clear out of their nasal passages or, or throat or something yep. um and, and you know unfortunately you know deer get um, a condition we and all mammals get occasionally deer will get pneumonia yep. and so they they could certainly do that. I, I, I can't say Brody and 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 let, let me say this as well. We we can safely make a lot of rules about some deer behavior, yep. but but there's always individual deer that do weird stuff, man. Yep. We just like yep. I don't know what's going on with that individual, but you know we really don't have that kind of cough. We don't associate that with a uh, a vocalization 
where yep. they're trying to signal something to another deer. Yep. It sounds like that may have been just something physiological with that individual that it was trying to clear some congestion. Yeah. That, that would be my professional guess. Yeah. Gotcha. Very good. Tell me about EHD a little bit then. I mean, I know that's kind of the, the warm weather issue. It seems like you, you find deer showing up around uh, water holes, ponds, rivers, streams. Uh, and yeah. it seems like that, that has uh, maybe, I mean, best I can tell, has kind of um, kind of been you know in the shadows, it seems like, uh, as of late with the CWD coming on as strong as it has. Uh, right. Tell me about right. EHD and, 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 you know, that deer. W- would you eat that? Is that a, tell me about that. That disease, if that's something that's more just a summertime uh, issue that they clear up through the wintertime as cold weather comes on, or, or how does that uh, yeah. heal up from that, that particular disease? So it, it, it's a virus, and it's one of those deals where uh, it's the EHD. Some people shorten it and say HD. There's It's kind of its first cousin in the same family of viruses that are, that are blue-tongue. Yep. Those, those are all genotyped as kind of they're different viruses, but they're all in the same family in terms of the manifestation physiologically on the deer. So they're all in the category of hemorrhagic diseases, and hemorrhagic meaning bleeding. Yeah. So it's going to cause uh, the, the blue tongue symptom is when you get lesions on the tongue, and the tongue will see uh, be seen hanging out, and there'll be these big, uh, w- we say lesions, but they look like holes or tears, you know, inflammation in the tongue. Yep. And then that's going on internally as well. There could be stress on the heart, c- can create holes in their rumen and inflammation in the lungs and all sorts of stuff. Um, that 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 is what causes the demise in the worst case scenario or what we call the acute phase. And some deer will experience the acute form, and that's kind of based on their physiology and their antibodies and their history with the, uh, with the virus in the past or possibly immunity that was passed down from mother to fawn to offspring. And so most deer, Brody, especially in the South, especially in the South, um, this is a virus that is more or less endemic in the southeastern U.S., right. meaning – they're confronted with it or some form or variant of it every single year, right. and there is so much immunity built up to it. But it will take a fraction of deer every single year to the tune of less than 5%. Okay. When we really get these big waves of it is when it gets out of the zone it is normally confined to. And the examples we have all seen and heard about when we get a big wave that goes through the Midwest. Yeah. And so – at that point, for those individuals, it becomes a novel virus to them. They have no built-in immunity, and that's when you have these worst-case scenarios where 20, 30, 40 percent of the deer herd died from it. And the reason we have this association with water, whether it be a river or stream or pond or whatever, is that when the deer start suffering from this, is they get a temperature. And so often they will go and lay in the water to cool their body down. They're trying to lower their body temperature and get well. And sometimes it works out and they recover and you never see them again. Sometimes it doesn't and you find a carcass by a stream or, or, or in a pond. That's what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not to go and drink. It's to, uh, necessarily as it is to lay and use that as a temperature regulation, uh, just a cooling method, which I guess they go technically go hand in hand if you're cooling down and drinking whatever. But, that's very interesting. Right. Yeah, they're uh, going for, for therapy. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Good stuff. All right, what about the 
talk uh, here in the last few months or this year or summer. I don't remember when it first popped up as far as the COVID virus, COVID showing up in deer, being tested and deer tested and, and finding that uh, as far as deer being yeah. a carrier. Um, fascinating to me and probably most people. Very, very interesting. I think yeah. there's uh, an order of magnitude of what we don't know versus what we do know. And Brody, I wish I had more expertise to sure. be more enlightening about this, but quite honestly, I, I read the reports very much probably like you have right. read as well. And yep. and what we know now is that the mechanism of their exposure still baffles me a little bit, yeah. um, but somehow, some way, it has gotten into deer, and they are able to spread it from, from deer to deer. And they are just, it appears at this point, a carrier of the virus, and it does not appear to manifest in infection gotcha. for the deer. So it does not appear to kill deer. It does not at this point appear to even bother them in terms of uh, the virus accumulating at a rate that would cause infection. Yeah. But there is beyond the shadow of a doubt with all the testing, and primarily in the Midwest, that uh, at least in some populations, they are certainly carriers of it. What what that means for the future, uh, in my opinion and my level of knowledge, uh, I, I think it's too early to tell right now. Sure, we're probably going to need a couple more years to see how this unfolds. And yep. there are health issues as well. Uh, are, are deer going to be a reservoir forever and ever for this virus? And does it provide opportunities for the virus in with white-tailed deer as a host to also mutate? Yep and then be spread back to humans, that would be worst-case scenario. And yep. to my knowledge, no one knows at this point if that's possible or yeah. not. So, yeah. All new ground, fresh stuff. New yeah. ground, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Well, it is fascinating. You know, when I first saw that pop up, I honestly thought it was a joke when I first saw that first article or whatever show up on social media. And then I thought, my gosh, here we go. Uh, yeah, so very, very interesting. <laughs> uh, well, hey, tell me this. Other, other – situations scenarios health issues with a, a white-tailed deer that you would say i would not eat that if you encounter what are any of those are there any other things that you would you know would say if you see this don't eat that if you you know what i'm saying tell me any of those yeah. that pop up in your mind as far as just some no goes yeah, a, a couple things a couple things and again social media pictures that get emailed to me um first of all i i, I think use your your intuition in, in, in terms of your eyes, and, and this is probably better experience for someone or, or better advice for someone that's really experienced and has examined, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 carcasses over the years. Right. Um, I, I, I love an acronym. A buddy of mine is a pathologist in the vet school, uh, SAR, and someone will, you know, call up and, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll give the acronym SAR. That just, something ain't right. That's right. <laughs> I'm yeah. just looking at that through my experience with my sheep, my goat, my horse, my cat. You know, something ain't something right. Something ain't right, yeah. You, you skin that deer. And I, I think of two things primarily. Um, there's, there's really not a, a lot of diseases that I can think of that really have a, um, a, an, an internal signature, at least during this time of the year. You know, a, a deer suffering from chronic wasting disease, it, it's going to be more external, you, mm -hmm. probably through its behavior. It, it was wasted away. I yeah. mean, that is how they die. You know, they 
even salivate, profuse salivation, blind, stumbling, classic neurological disorder. Yep. But anyway, some, a deer that may look externally healthy, you, you get the skin off of it, and maybe there's a big fr- from trauma. Let's use an example. A, a month earlier, uh, a buck had been fighting with another buck and, and really got gored, yep. let's say, in its hind quarter. Well, um, deer are going to recover from that, but there may be this big wound and there may be pus. In other words, there is active infection yep. going on in that tissue. Now, with me, there may be some people that are hyper conservative and worried, may say, I'm not eating any of it. Yep. Uh, my stance over the years has been, I'm just not going to eat that hind quarter. That's I'm right. going to examine the tissue from the front, the back straps, the tenderloin, the other hind. If everything looks normal, uh, you're going to cook the meat. Uh, I'm completely fine with that. Right. The other is something that you may not be able to identify from trauma, but the deer is dealing with something. And this most often occurs is when you are, uh, for, for people that are processing their own meat and they take that hindquarter and then they start disassembling those muscles, the top round, the bottom round, uh, the eye of round, etc. And especially around the eye of round, you pull that apart and underneath it is, is normally when the deer is healthy, this little thing that looks about as big as half of your thumb, a, a lymph node right there. And it's just this gray uh, little bit of tissue and most people ignore it. I cut it out and throw it away anyway. Well, during an active infection, something going on down, down there, it may be really enlarged. It could be the size of a golf ball. It could have a lot of fluid associated with it and pus associated with it. Once again, in that case, I'm not throwing the deer out, but all the tissue surrounding that lymph node, I personally, I, I'm not going to consume. Yeah. So I think, uh, and, and then certainly what I alluded to a minute ago, uh, using your eyes and also your nose, if the nose is telling you that there's some yeah. some rot or necrosis, you know, something's going on with tissue, then then by all means, discard it. That's right. Something ain't right. You, you tell it with your Something eyes, you can tell right. it with your nose. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Tell me again where that lymph node is. You say you cut that out and go. You say it's under the... Yeah. So if you're... Um, so think about the femur of the deer, the, the, yep. the main, the big bone, and, you know, it's kind of... There are some other tissues in there as well, but primarily you've got the, the, the top round and the bottom round, and then kind of sandwiched in between is that eye of round. And yep. uh, think of the eye of round looks like not a back strap, but a tenderloin. Yep. It is literally the same shape, size, dimensions, et cetera, and it's right beside or beneath that. Yep. And so when you pull those rounds apart in that eye of round, you'll, you'll see it in there. It's yep. part of the lymphatic tissue. And um, once you get an eye for it, and I guarantee you, you can go on YouTube, yeah. and, and there'll they'll be an example of someone pulling that out. But take a look at that, you know, at the Skin and Shed this year, and you'll get it, you'll get an eye and a feel for what it normally looks like, and it'll be about the size of a marble. If everything's good, it's about the size of a marble. Size of a golf ball, something's going on. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Well, man, that's some good stuff. I appreciate it. Would you eat it with Dr. Bronson Strickland? That's a good little look at some of the hot topics going on, and uh, I really appreciate you sharing with us your insight on that and some wisdom on what to do and how to handle those things. I know people are always asking those questions, and so it's good to answer some of those for sure. You bet, man. Happy to, Brody. Happy to help. 
If you haven't done so already, be sure to check out the Deer University podcast. Tons of great information from Dr. Strickland and Dr. Damaris, Mississippi State University, the Deer Lab there, man. Great, great information. Those guys have got all kind of stuff. Any aspect of whitetail deer behavior, what they do, what they don't do, all the ins and outs, man. Be sure to check it out there. And we look forward to seeing you right back here for part two with Dr. Strickland next week. We'll see you then. Shoot straight. God bless. God bless.